Please turn in your copies of God's Word to the book of 1 John. And this evening we're going to begin a monthly series through the book of 1 John, lasting throughout the remainder of my time here with you until we leave at the end of May. And so this evening we'll be considering 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2 and verse 2. This epistle was written by the Apostle John as a letter of encouragement to believers, and we will see that in our passage today. But it's also a letter of warning. It's a warning against those false doctrines, those heresies, those vain philosophies which had begun to creep into the church. And these two things, encouragement and warning, will continue to be a theme flowing throughout this short book. So let us now turn our attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word of truth from 1 John chapter 1. This is the word of God. Lend it your full attention. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing upon it. Holy Father God, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us, your church in this world. We thank you that you have not left us alone to walk the paths of this world to try to figure out 
things on our own simply by the created order, but Lord, you have given us this divine revelation. And Lord, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of this word. Lord, let our hearing of this word not be a vain hearing that goes in one ear and out the other, but let it be one that listens with ears to hear. And Lord, now as we approach the proclamation of this word, we ask that you would add a blessing to the preaching. Lord, we trust that when your word goes forth, it never returns void. So Lord, let this word be an encouragement to us as your children. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in uh, middle school and in high school, I tried my hand at something that's a little crazy and a little dangerous. I tried my hand at cave exploring. And it was interesting. Uh, Sometimes there would be these great cavernous areas where you could easily stand up and do whatever it was that you wanted to do. But at other times... There were these small, narrow tunnels that you had to crawl on your belly in order to go through that led you further into the depths of the mountain. I've probably been in a dozen or so caves, but I can still vividly remember my first experience in one. We had just crawled, we had just crawled through a... Uh, extremely narrow space and we entered into this massive cavernous area and it was a relief after having just crawled for so long on my belly in such a confined space but that wasn't really the memorable part what really stood out to me was when our guide told us told us all to cut off our headlamps And so we did, and we immediately were engulfed in pitch black. Now, if you've ever been deep within a cave, you'll know that there is absolutely no light that penetrates within it. In fact, I was told that you run the risk of actually going blind if you keep your eyes open in pitch darkness because your eyes strain so much trying to find that little sliver of light. And I realized in that moment that there is an inherent fear that is within us all concerning the darkness. But then our guide lit a match and the whole cave lit up from a single match. And in that moment, I realized that there was an inherent safety within us concerning the light. Well, here in our passage, John lays out two ways in which we can walk, that of darkness and that of light. There is the safety of the light of God and there is the danger of damnation in the darkness of sin. Brothers and sisters, you must walk in the light. And there are three ways in which you can walk in the light. First, forsake your sin. 
or forsake the darkness. Second, confess your sins. And lastly, rest in Christ. Forsake the darkness, confess your sins, and rest in Christ. Now John begins this epistle in a very unique way in his introduction. He doesn't name himself and he doesn't even uh, address this letter to anyone specifically. Instead, he begins by speaking to the fact that he is an eyewitness to the life of Christ Jesus. It's not by any inherent authority that he has in himself that he is writing these things, but it's only by the authority that is given to him by Jesus Christ as his apostle. And in this appeal to the apostolic authority, he speaks to the eternality of Christ, Christ's eternal nature, that which was from the beginning. And he also speaks of the incarnation of Christ, Christ taking on human flesh, that life life was made manifest. And so he wants us to realize that he he is one of the ones who was there, who saw it all, who lived that life. And so then he goes on to lay out what the theme and the primary purpose of this epistle are going to be that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This isn't a letter of admonition. This is a letter of encouragement. It's an encouragement to pursue Christian fellowship. And so this will be the theme by which we'll look at this book over the next several months. And the purpose of this letter, which I pray will be the result in you after we complete this book together, is that our joy may be complete. John's purpose from first to last is positive. It is not a negative purpose. The goal is fullness of joy for every Christian. And he begins to explain this theme of Christian fellowship by explaining the necessity of walking in the light. So the first way that we're given that shows us how to walk in the light is to forsake the darkness. Now to understand this, you must first understand what light and darkness are. John tells us very plainly, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now this wouldn't be an entirely foreign concept to the hearers at this time because light was often associated with excellence and purity, integrity, wisdom, And because of that, it was an appropriate way to speak of the divine. In fact, it was a commonly used symbol. So this statement that God is light depicts 
the Father as absolute, infinite, transcendent, and holy other. It suggests excellence without limit and without taint. Light is the condition of beauty, and so it's therefore called sweet in Ecclesiastes 11.7. Light symbolizes God's flawless perfection. That God is light means that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is this world's only authentic and reliable source of life, hope, and abundant blessing. And it's in this light in the glory of who God is that you are to walk. Fellowship with, God, with the God of light is evidence of the power of, God, of the gospel in our lives. To walk in the light is to, first of all, receive and embrace that light by faith. And that can only be done by forsaking the darkness. That means you are to believe upon the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and then to act on faith on that name and to live in obedience to God's commands, doing the things that please Him. You cannot embrace darkness and walk in the light at the same time. And so that's why John contrasts this walking in the light with walking in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. To walk in darkness is to reject the light. It's to go on in the way of sin, in the way of the world, in the way of the wicked one in the way of Satan himself. To do so is to love darkness and to hate the light, the very opposite of what it is that we are to do as believers. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Are you pursuing holiness without which no man will see the Lord Or are you continuing in sin in hopes that grace may abound? Paul says in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So which of these lists characterizes your life? These works of the flesh must be cut out. These works of the flesh are what constitute the darkness. And to walk in them is to hate the God of light and to love the sin of this world. 
And you must forsake that darkness. And so this leads to the second way in which you are to walk into, in the light. You must confess your sins. Now most of us here have never made the claim that there is no sin within us. We don't believe in a sinless perfectionism. But sinless perfectionism isn't what's being spoken of against here in our text. There's no evidence of a teaching on sinless perfectionism in first century Judah. But what there is evidence of is false teaching that had begun to influence the church. There's evidence of a Greek philosophy known as dualism that had creeped into the church. There's an early form of Gnosticism that's beginning to rise up in these communities and make its way into the body of believers. And so that is what John is arguing against. It's not sinless perfectionism that's in view, but instead the idea that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. And so the things that are done in the physical realm have no bearing upon the spirit. So this thought led people to believe that if the flesh does wrong, then the spirit cannot be held accountable for those sins. And so you are free from the guilt of physical sin. Now, if this sounds absolutely insane to you, then good, because it is. It's heresy. And it has to be outright condemned. But our concern today ought not be whether or not we are falling for the exact same thing that was plaguing the church at this time. No, our concern ought to be whether or not we are falling for a softened form of this ancient heresy. Oftentimes we can find ourselves excusing our sinful actions by blaming it on the flesh. Sometimes we will justify our sinful actions by appealing to our justification by saying, well, I'm saved, so I'm good. Brothers and sisters, this is an error. This is the error of the antinomians. Those who deny the law of God and its role in the life of believers. And if this is your disposition towards sin, it ought to cause you great concern. Because it may be evidence that the truth is not in you. By saying that we have no sin, even in the more subtle ways in which we are prone to do, we make God a liar and His Word is not in us. We must be sure to not prove ourselves to be a hypocrite, professing Christ but not being His. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. People who say that they are Christians but are not, they drift through this life with a haze over their eyes, causing a self-deception. 
They don't question or examine themselves. They go on deceived until they come to that last great day when the righteous judge judges with equity. And then they suddenly realize that they have been living in darkness all along because they truly did hate the light. But this doesn't have to be you. If you feel as though you are alienated from God, then run to Christ. Ask Him to persuade you that there is no other way to live and then go and meet God in the light. Ask Him to convict you of how dreadful and dangerous it is to live and die in darkness because there is hope. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here John offers real hope to Christians. Indeed, he offers this hope to anyone who is burdened with the guilt of particular sins. Guilt and grief need not oppress you, dear believer. A just and a faithful God has appointed a way to obtain forgiveness and be cleansed afresh by the blood of His Son. And if you are a believer, your comfort is that Jesus stood in your guilty place, bearing your load, removing your guilt, canceling your debt, and nailing your curse to the cross. He took your punishment to the grave and He buried it there forever. There's forgiveness to be found in Christ. And that forgiveness is found by confessing your sin. And if you're walking in the light, you will see the need to confess your sins. It'll become painfully obvious where you're falling short. Children, have you, have you ever looked at the sun? Now, please don't do this. Ever. Parents, have you ever looked at the sun? And against, against your knowledge, against your understanding, against your parents' pleas for you not to look at the sun, you look at it anyway. And as you look at the sun, your eyes begin to burn and they water. And eventually you have to look away because the intensity and brightness of the sun is far too much to bear. But eventually you open your eyes and the world begins to come back into focus. But you can't help but notice that compared to the brightness of the sun, everything else seems to be clouded in a cloak of darkness. The Apostle John provides a similar experience here in our text. He sets before us the vision of God in absolute light, a light that's far greater and purer than that sun above. And in doing so, he wants us to experience and to recognize the blackness that is all around us, and indeed, 
the blackness that is within us. He wants us to see the blackness of sin, the great darkness that is exposed only when we gaze intently at the brightness and the holiness, the perfect light of God. God's holiness shows our unholiness. His light shows us that we are stained black with sin. And so we need an incarnate and crucified Christ to forgive us of it, to wash us clean, to sprinkle us in his holy blood. If you are to pursue Christian fellowship, if you are to walk in the light, you must confess your sins knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this forsaking darkness, this confessing your sins culminates in the third way in which you can be sure to walk in the light. And that is, you must rest in Christ. John's purpose in writing these things is not that you may be perfect because that's an impossibility on this side of glory. His purpose is to encourage you to strive after the perfection which is found only in union with Christ. There's a standard. And we ought to be aiming at that standard in everything that we do. All the while knowing that when we fail and we will, that He will be there to meet us. Brothers and sisters, when you fail, hear the comforting words of the Lord. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This ought to bring you peace when your heart is so troubled by your sin that you feel too ashamed to even enter into the Lord's presence and ask for his forgiveness. Christ Jesus intercedes on your behalf. He is your advocate with the Father. Now this term advocate may not be a familiar one to you. It's a legal term used in the courts of these ancient times and it's similar to an attorney that pleads your case on your behalf who makes your defense for you. And when you hire an attorney today, he or she is usually and hopefully a professional. It's what they do all the time. But in New Testament times, your advocate wouldn't be a professional that you hired. It would be your best friend, the person who knows you most intimately that would then go into the courts and plead on your behalf. And so your friends appearing with you and speaking for you was proof of a true friendship. If you're a believer, you have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous, your best friend who knows you more intimately than anyone else, more intimately than you know yourself. And he is the one who pleads on your behalf before the Father. Does that make it clear how comforting this this truth is to us as believers? When our hearts condemn us, we lay our hearts before Christ because he is the one who pleads our case before the Father and not us. So I ask you, do you have an advocate with the Father? Does Christ plead your case before the judgment seat of God in heaven? Or do you think that you can argue your own defense? If you can't say that he is your advocate, then cry out to him. Repent and put your trust in him. Christ Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but for also for the sins of the whole world. If you will turn from your sin today and trust in Christ, then this will be true for you as well. Hear this call of the gospel. Cry out to the Lord and he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, sealing you with his Holy Spirit, the guarantor of the promise. And you too will be able to say that you have an advocate before the Father. And it's in him. It's through being united to Christ that you will find true fellowship with God and with fellow believers. Because in your union with Christ, you are not only united to the Son, but you are united to the Father and you are united to the Holy Spirit because just as Christ prayed in John 17, He and the Father are one. He prayed that we would be one. And so we have been united in Christ and we have been made one with this triune God. But more than that, we have been made one with each other. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of true Christian fellowship. Brothers and sisters, you must rest in Christ. The Lord is the one who works within you and brings you into union with himself and with fellow believers. He didn't just bring you to faith to leave you on your own. No, he cares for you and he works in you. When God plants the seed of new life into our hearts, he lovingly tends it so that we would ultimately be transformed in heart and in mind and in life and be conformed to the God of light. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
And part of completing the good work is bringing you into fellowship with himself and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So how can you be sure to walk in the light? Forsake the darkness. Confess your sins. And rest in Christ. All the while knowing that he is working all these things in you. To bring you unto perfection. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue Christian fellowship by walking in the light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you that you have brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We thank you and we praise you that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, it's because of this truth, because of who we were and who we now are. It's because of our union with your son. Because we have been buried with him and we have been raised anew. That we can now walk in this light. So, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us and empower us to persevere and to walk in this light even in a world that's full of darkness because we know that the darkness cannot consume the light. So Lord, we ask that you would use us as we are walking in the light to be a beacon of hope in this lost and dying world, this world of darkness and sin that we would be a light to which others would run to, to see the beauty of a Savior and to come and join us in this pilgrim's journey as we walk in your light. So we ask these things through the power and the blood of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.